Well, hey, friends, welcome back to Mike's podcast, which at some point in the near future will no longer be called Mike's podcast. I've got some fun changes happening, fun for me, maybe fun for you. Maybe you don't care and you're skipping over all of this, but uh, short story for you here. I kind of started this podcast accidentally and by accidentally, meaning like I didn't have any intention for something here. It all started when, when shutdowns first began with COVID and I had been out of preaching in a church week in, week out for about six months at that point. And I just kind of had this thing building in me of like, what would I do? What would I say if I were in the pulpit right now? And so some of you, some of you began listening back then. And I just kind of, I walked through some ideas from this, this ancient book of Job from the Hebrew scriptures. And it was just some of what was sort of stirring in me at that point. And some of you started listening. And then what began to happen is, is I began to like connect with this, this other audience as well, this group of people who, for lack of a better term, we've been defining as post-evangelical pastors and church leaders. And we began sort of connecting and I was like, oh gosh, I don't know what to do with this thing because I just gave it a terrible name because I'm terrible at branding Mike's podcast, like type that into iTunes and you'll find 4,000 hits. And then I just like jumped onto canva.com and made a quick logo, which I am terrible at, and I should not be allowed to do those things. So I've got this terrible logo and a terrible name and, and I've gotten to connect with a whole bunch of you though, through this, and even had this gathering in South Bend of post evangelical pastors and leaders last October, more than a hundred of you showed up to that, which just blew my mind. And so many of you like said to me like, oh, I've heard your podcast. I've listened to your interview with so-and-so. And I just started to realize like, oh, this is one of our connection points that in this like space for post evangelical pastors, leaders, churches, we're trying to figure out like, how do we find each other? How do we connect with each other? That's, that's some of the work that I've been doing over the last years, trying to figure out ways to, to build connection in that space. And I've realized like, oh, this podcast actually is one of those connecting points. And so I want to be a little bit more intentional about that this year. So I've actually, I, I've hired somebody who is working on rebranding it right now. They're, they're working on changing the name, changing the logo, making it like like actually be a bit more professional than Mike's podcast. Grab the first thing that pops up on canva.com. So we're doing that. The, another thing that we're going to be doing is I'm going to put these out in batches because essentially what's happened with these is like, I just put them out when I feel like it. And I've realized like, that's actually not helpful. If this is going to be a more intentional, a more intentional way that we're going to connect with each other. So what I'm going to do rather than like put one out every week from now until infinity that these are going to come out once a week in batches. So I'll put together like six or eight of them. And then for six or eight weeks, they'll come out in batches and then we'll do another batch. Some people call them seasons that felt like weird to me because I don't think I'm like producing seasons. So I'm just going to have batches of these that will come out. And with the recognition that like more and more of you are listening here who are leaders in churches, that, that has a little bit more of a bent then and some of the questions that I'll ask with people some of the things we'll talk about, we'll still talk about some of the, the things that we've been talking about on other podcasts, episodes, if you've listened to them, but like, for instance, today we're talking with Scott Erickson. We got a really great interview with Scott and we go into some really interesting places, but like one of the things that we'll do is we'll pontificate a little bit about like, what does it mean to be somebody who's trained in preaching and using preaching to get people to do a thing 
versus the work that he's doing that so many of us are resonating with of using visual art to excavate what the spirit's already doing. So wondering, like, is there something for those of us who are professional church leaders to learn from like the work that he's doing and the way that we're leading churches, congregations, groups of people, things like that. And so what you'll find, I've recorded almost all of the, almost all of the interviews that are going to be coming out over the next six or eight weeks. And what you'll find is, is we're going to talk about these big, broader things. And then every once in a while, there's going to be something that will sort of like poke at and push into a little bit more that feels relevant for those of us who are leading in church spaces. Oh, we're going to get a little theme music in here. We don't have all that yet. Like I, I just wanted to start putting some of these out again with the new year starting. And I don't know if you're familiar with a marketer named Seth Godin writes all kinds of stuff. One of the things that he said years ago, I sat in on a talk that I heard him give that I, and it just resonated so much with me was he said, you just need to ship. S H I P you need to ship stuff. And so like, that's been one of my mantras. Some of you produce really high quality things. And so it takes longer for you to put them out. And for me, I put out a thing called Mike's podcast with a crummy logo because I just want to ship it. I just want to get it out. So we're in the midst of rebranding at some point, this will have a better name that somebody will have helped me to figure out something better to call this. Cause I'm terrible at branding. At some point there'll be some music in here. At some point there'll be a better look to it. At some point. There'll be more and they'll be better, but I just wanted to ship it. Wanted to get it out for you all. So we're going to get into the interview here with Scott Erickson talking about all, all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about shifting faith journeys, like what, what to do when things stop working for you and you have to make sense of what to do with that. We, we share some moments of talking about what we experienced in South Bend together with this gathering of post-evangelical pastors and church leaders that happened in October of 2021. And talk about his book, Say Yes, that releases January 25th of this year. Talk about vulnerability and the way that it operates as your relationship to weakness. We'll talk about spiritual practices and in one in particular, he'll talk about a death practice. Talk about how COVID has changed the way that he approached the same work that he was doing pre-COVID. And, and we'll talk a bit about like what I, what I mentioned earlier, visual liturgies is this like excavation tools that excavate the true story in you. And even think a little bit about like, well, what is that? What does that mean for those of us who like are professional speakers in church spaces? Like how, how do we think differently about that craft and that work? Cause we're going to get into all that stuff. I think there's some really, really good things in here that Scott gets into. And I do want to give you one quick heads up. If you are listening in the car with kids or whatever, there is some languages here, not a ton, but enough that like, if I had small kids around that, I, I would be like, ah, oh, maybe I might want to think about pop it on the headphones. So. Just want to give you a heads up there. So we're going to jump into it here in just a second with no theme music as a bumper because I've not gotten that far yet. So I appreciate you all. I appreciate you sticking around. I'll have more to say in the near future, but I just wanted to give you a heads up on some of the changes that are happening. Appreciate you all. And thanks for, thanks for hanging out. Well, Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast here. And we have my friend, Scott Erickson. And uh, Scott, I just have a one sentence bio that I stole off of your website. Oh, Actually, great. I found like four different bios on your website of <laughs> various lengths. Here's, uh -huh. here's the shortest one though. It said that you're an artist, author, and performance speaker, creating a visual vocabulary for the spiritual journey. Correct. Uh, yeah, that's good. I, that works. I wrote, I wrote that. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I like it. I approve it. 
Here's here's what I was curious. As soon as I read that, I thought like I've had this weird experience since I stopped being a full time pastor of I'll meet my kids, uh, friends, parents at something. And they'll ask me like, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I do like 17 things. (laughs) And I have this hard time. Like, like when you meet the kids' parents, like, how do you describe, how do you describe being like this performance speaker, artist, author? I, yeah, I start with, they'll be like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a professional creative. And then, then that leads to like, oh, what does that mean? And sometimes I'll say I'm a professional artist and then a look of misunderstanding will fall over their face they'll be like what do you mean and then i and the way i describe it from there is i go look i I go there's like three different things that i see myself doing i'm a i'm a i'm a visual artist i'm a painter and illustrator i am also an author and hope to continue making books and then i do performance speaking art performance art kind of stuff and and then i was like it's those those little things. I do a lot of little things that makes a little something. That's what, what I'd like to say. You yeah. Could take, you could take that because you do a lot of little things that makes a little something. Yeah, no, I totally get it. It's a, it's a really interesting space to be in. It probably is one more and more folks are finding themselves in. And I've been learning from people like you that are a few years ahead of, of me on doing that. So recently, well, I should say first, a lot of folks know you through your Instagram mm-hmm. that you are putting up art maybe like once a day that has thoughtful reflections as a part of it. And in that, it seems like you have connected with and tapped into a kind of audience, a kind of people who are going through their own sort of like faith journeys in some sort of way that have maybe grown up in the church, have been a part of it. And like the term that keeps being thrown around right now is deconstruction with it. Yeah. Like that's a good and helpful term or not, I think is an interesting conversation. But you talked about that at this event that we did together in mm-hmm. in South Bend with post-evangelical pastors in a way that I found really compelling. And I keep thinking about it. You <laughs> created this image that I don't know if you created it just for that gathering or if you'd had it before, but it, it moved from head to heart to hands. Mm-hmm. And then hands was at the center of the image. And then it moved back fr- from hands back to heart to head. Yeah. That became this really helpful like picture for me of that sort of a journey. Do you mind like talking about that a little bit? Yeah, it is. It's taken from a book called The New Copernicans, at least the initial part of it, which is in the author. I forget his name. I'm sorry right now. But his he says that um, our he he believes that because of of kind of the generational change, our ways of do he's like all of our structures of like seminary and church or are built on this idea is like where we start with our head, we start with an idea, and then we try to get that idea down into our hearts where we become very, we put our passion behind it. And then, and then we bring it to our hands where we try to implement it. And he's like, what is happening though? And what he says is though, is that people are having different experiences, which we will say are hands. And then that's causing them to go, oh, I had this d- different experience than what I thought. And that really changed my heart. And then we move, so we go hands, heart, head, where we go, well, what was happening there? And I, I think in framing that conversation, I was like, I think what happened collectively in that group is that we were told one thing, but the moment you got your feet and your, you get your hands into it, you actually like met people, had experiences, implemented these things. You're like, actually, it's, it's, it's a lot different than I thought. It's a lot more dynamic. It's more complex than what I was told or what I thought it to be. 
And, and yet we'll have these experiences that we're like, man, my heart is really into these people I met or this community I was a part of, or this thing that I did. And then, so it's like this on this other side, instead of like trying to bring passion to it, it's like, it's bringing this out. And then what I think we were all there in that group is that our head, well, there's a big question mark on the other side is like, is that's kind of, it was where we're like, I don't know how to, we're still trying to figure out what this is. We don't have the names for it and stuff, but we're having these experiences. Our hearts have changed or our hearts are changing or growing. And, and then we're, maybe we just don't have the vocabulary for it yet. Yeah. 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 It reminded me like just even now, as you were talking, I was reminded of the the story of Peter in, in the early church yep. that mm-hmm. he has this encounter with Gentiles yeah. that doesn't make sense within the framework that he's learned. Yeah. And, and he says, well, like clearly the spirit's doing something here. And then he has to make sense of that yeah. in a way that like reframes things for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He goes back to Jerusalem, talks it through. And I like, well, I guess the Gentiles can be saved too. <laughs> like they're just like, what happened? Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a really interesting thing. Like where for you, where did that start like happening? Did you grow up in the church? I did. Yeah. You- yeah. I grew up in the church. I come from a family of my dad's like a pastor's kid. So he sold tools. He wasn't, he wasn't in ministry, but my parents were always involved with kind of ministry, like our church and then like overseas missionary stuff. So Mm. I grew up around a lot of church culture and, and I, and I liked how I grew up. I think it was great. You know, uh, there was some, I think there was some bullshit, but, but like who doesn't have like something in their childhood? They're like, I don't know. But really, I was around a lot of kind people, and I loved youth group, and I loved all the people I met and stuff. But um, yeah, I I I think now in my forties, it's pretty typical for a lot of us. But like, it was in my thirties, like things stopped working for me. Hmm. And when I say things stopped working for me, it was not. I for one, I had a number of friends die at young ages, and so there was that particular reality. My and like opening up questions for you or was that like this doesn't make sense with I don't know the 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 experience that like like I've heard you in your say yes talk talk about the idea of like that there is we we've sold people of like there's this god-shaped hole and god is essentially this product that will fill that and Uh for at some point like that product isn't working yeah is it some of that like what was about that experience I, I think with the death is my friend Sarah I worked at this church in Houston and she got cancer and died and she was the like best of us you know I say often I'm like when a-holes die we're like that makes sense but when like the best of you dies hmm. you're like this I don't really know what to think about this anymore and so she, I, I think what it caused in me was and Michael we could talk about this for a long time but it's it's this idea is that I started to see that the church culture that I, the Christian culture I was a part of, influenced by North American Christian culture, was really obsessed with afterlife, but it, it seemed like it felt uncomfortable with this life. And I remember talking with some friends of mine who were pastors, I was like, shouldn't the church help people die well? It It does a good job with like, you know, visitation and, and doing funerals and stuff. But I was like, I don't hear a lot about like accepting that you're going to die. It sounds like a lot of like, 
don't worry, there's something after it. And, and, you know, it, it kind of, it wants to bypass the reality that we're all going, that everybody has died. Even Jesus died. I mean, if you want to get real literal, we got Elijah and Enoch, and that's two guys ever out of everybody. <laughs> everybody dies. And I, I was like, at least in the, in the tradition I was a part of that I knew about, I was like, it seems like there's a missing piece of this whole thing, which is like, how do we die? Well, how do we accept that we're going to die? I mean, I, I, now I see it better where I'm, I, you know, I think there's this, like, if you can die before you die, you can truly live. I think Jesus is speaking to this, like, you know, pick, I think there's this, like, pick up your cross and follow me, which is this kind of like dying to yourself, dying to your ego, dying to the false self. You know, I, I think there's a whole other side of this where people go, yeah, I stopped, I stopped believing in my desires or the things I have in me because I've, I've just. I've just died and I've dedicated myself to religion. And I don't know, there's like a whole other, I'm not supposed to pay attention to my desires. That's I think real dangerous too. But what, what it hit in me was just like, oh, there's, so I, I needed to find a, a better set of spiritual practices that embraced death, that embraced complexity, that embraced absurdity. I think a lot of the things I'm bumping up against always is my expectations about how much pain I'm supposed to experience in my life. Huh. And as I've allowed other wisdom teachers go, you know, one of the things of Buddhism is like, oh, you will, you will suffer. Like that's part of it, you know? And I, and I feel like talking about the, Christianity as a product or God as a product, I, I think it, there was a bit of it, it, it doesn't help sell the product if you go, hey, part of life is suffering. Even though we look to Jesus and go, a man acquainted with gr grief, you know, a suffering servant, you know, I like to say often, I'm a Christian because of the resurrection, but mostly because of the shortest verse in the Bible, hmm. which is Jesus hmm. wept, because if, if that story wasn't in there, if there was a God who said, I participated in humanity and there wasn't a story about that God going to his friend's funeral, I wouldn't believe it because, because that's what every, all of us have to do. And I would be like, you insulated yourself from this experience, which is that we all have to eventually confront our finiteness. And uh, yeah. So those are, I'd say yeah. we could talk about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to get into this in a little bit, but like in a lot of ways that dovetails into the book that you've got coming out in, mm -hmm. on January 25th, right? Called Say Yes. And I mean, this is some of what you get into in that, isn't it? Of like, you talk about, on I've heard you in Say Yes talk about the idea that like recognizing our desires and mm -hmm. even the death of things that we desired is this like portal that opens us up into new spaces. Do you mind talking a little bit about the, the death of the thing and what, like, how does that open you up? Yeah. Uh, so, so say yes started as like a, a talk and then became like a performance piece. And then with the break of COVID, right before it started, I got a, a book deal out of it. So I spent COVID part of COVID writing that book and illustrate it's like a hundred illustrations and stuff. I, I should have my elevator pitch down really well. And I don't. So thank you all for listening to it. I would say, say yes, is like, it's a bunch, it's like a layer cake. There's a few things happening at once. And, and the, the way I like to describe it is that like death comes on a spectrum. Giving up on yourself can come on a spectrum. Suicide can come on a spectrum, meaning like you can give up on yourself, but still be alive. You can hmm. numb, numb the pain by binge watching something every night. You can distract yourself by 
always being on your phone or, you know, opening a bottle or numbing out to not deal with things that you know you need to deal with. And you can go all the way to the end and go, yeah, I just don't want to be here anymore. It's really a conversation about being here and how are we here. In my deepest conversations with like suicidal ideation or just like wanting to keep moving forward, like I think there was something I tapped into midway through my life that I was like, ah, I actually really want to do that. And I, I'm kind of regretting that I didn't start earlier. I didn't know, which was, I would say my, that I would call that a death of a dream. I had yep. this experience where like a dream died in me, which, and the dream was, oh, I thought I'd be here by now. And I'm not, I should have known at 18 and I didn't. And now I'm here. And now I recognize what I want to do. And it, and I missed it. And I don't, you know, and it was kind of all of that. And I would say the death of a dream is, is kind of that understanding, but on the, but on the other side of that, not, maybe not the other side, but another part of it that we don't often look to is like the death of a dream is also the death of the version of yourself that doesn't have any vulnerabilities. Whoa. That's good. Of, often, often our dream about ourself or a dream scenario is a version where we, we don't have any weaknesses. Like we might have a dream, we, you know, like, oh, I want to start a dream business or a dream career. Like, say you want to start a dream business. You don't imagine like, well, I might have to get somebody to front the capital to get this thing going. And we might have an awkward relationship for years and years and years as I pay them back. Or, you know, or like I have a dream about finishing a marathon, but I often don't envision in that maybe the eight months of physical therapy I have to do because now I'm in my forties and my knees don't work anymore. You know, like often our dream scenario where the version of us that's in that isn't, doesn't have any weaknesses and, and vulnerability isn't necessarily your weaknesses. Vulnerability is your relationship to your weaknesses. How do you feel about having weaknesses? Huh. Is it something you hide? Is it something you reject? Is it something you have come and allowed to be a reality. And I would submit that the only way through, the only way really forward is, is going to be through your vulnerabilities is going, is going to, is going to be a path of desire that, that your vulnerability, you carry your vulnerabilities with you. And so the book is about in that space, a dream died, but I was like, I still, I still have this deep desire and I still want to move forward. And then I was confronted by these like these inner arguments. And I had to develop my own like pivots, counter arguments, spiritual practices, mental health practices. I think they're all kind of the same thing to counter these arguments, to keep going and inevitably like live into what I'd hoped to do. Huh. And so the book, so the show and the book is kind of about, it's about my journey, but it's also about all of our journey. And it's also about like the spiritual journey, because I, I think that like, I, I found in my own kind of pra developing practices that mental health practices and spiritual practices are kind of the same thing. Like one of, I remember when my therapist said, one of my therapists was like, you need to develop, you need to start exercising or getting your body, you know, like to help with the depression, move your body and stuff. And I remember starting, I started like a running routine, but it was on one of those runs. I was just like, well, why the hell am I running anyways? <laughs> like I eventually I bumped up an ex to an existential question, you know, like, so it's like, I can have a mental health practice, which is like exercise, but 
with that, I also need to be like, well, why am I doing this? Like, what is the reason? Because what is the purpose of being here? Or what is, what is the gift of being? Is it a gift? Is it a miracle? I think it's a miracle, but how come the miracle sucks sometimes? You know, these are the kinds of things that I also knew what I needed to discuss. And so say yes, the show is about, you know, an hour and 30, 40 minutes. There's only so much you can discuss in that before you lose an audience's attention. So the book takes time to like get, get flesh that out a little bit more and give some yeah. real different things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you more questions about that. Yep. I also have yep. like questions about like almost behind the curtain a little bit in yeah, that, go, in the creation of we it. We don't have to, we don't have, this isn't like a, let's just talk about the book. Like, let's just go where the conversation needs to go. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about all those things. I want to make sure that I'm following like a good stream of consciousness too. Cause yeah. <laughs> like you, you keep saying things that like get me thinking about like 14 different things. <laughs> yeah. So early, earlier you talked about like the experience of people dying was one of the like catalysts for you that was like, okay, how do I make sense of my faith and what do I do with this? And you said yeah. like spiritual practices were one of the things that began to to help you through that journey, I guess is yeah. maybe a way of yeah. saying it. Yeah. And then say yes is also about engaging, like there, there's a part of that that's about engaging in practices in order to like, one of the ones that I remember you doing is the idea of like laying down Mm -hmm. And sort of like creating a like funeral coffin sort of like experience. Yeah. A death practice. A death Have, practice. Having a death practice. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, yeah. Talk to me about that kind of practice. Like that one, that one was one that felt like, gosh, I've never, I've engaged in a lot of spiritual practices. That one felt like so foreign and also so helpful. Yeah. I'm going to back up to your first so yeah yeah but i'm gonna get to the death practice because i'm realizing what happened part of it wasn't only like friends dying but i you know i think all of us unless you're insulating yourself and not having these honest conversations i found myself going man the world is much more complex than my own theology can handle and when i mean spiritual practices it's like what do you what do you believe and then how do you live that out in the world and it was Father Richard Rohr, who, you know, is a big influence on all of us and just, you know, some small ways or big ways. But when I learned about St. Francis and I learned about Francis, Franciscan practices, this really helped me. And he summarized it and he said, Franciscan practices are like this, which is the, the physical world is the doorway to the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is much, much larger. What he's saying in that, he's like, look, there's a larger reality, which we'd call the spiritual reality that is hidden from us. The only way to access that is actually through the material reality. We can't bypass it. And I feel like, at least when I picked up from the tradition I was a part of, there was a lot of trying to bypass the physical reality. Yeah, it was like, yeah. it was like, hate the world, hate your body, hate all these things. We just got to get to heaven. We just got to get to spirituality. And what this instilled in me was like, there's no, your deeper, your deep longing for that other larger reality. It can only come through this reality. Jesus says this, where he's like, you took care of me. You were like connecting with God when you gave water to the thirsty, when you gave food to the hungry, when you visited, he's saying somehow in this action, in the physical, it, the, the portal to the larger spiritual reality opens up. And, and I, you know, I just asked the listener and you to think about a moment where 
you were doing something normal, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's a depth to what I'm doing right now. And it's, that's what's happening in that. So when I started like, so that's kind of where the idea of say yes, it was like, you have to say yes to the reality, to this world you find yourself in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time, this body, this, this specific incarnation. This is the only way you can connect to everything. And that is, that's kind of where my spiritual practice is. I started having to implement different ones. Um, the death practice, there's a long tradition through lots of faith traditions about death practices. The Buddhists have one, the Hindus have one, the Christian, Christians have one. There's actually an, an order of, there's a monastic order in Europe that every day kind of has like a meditation on your own finiteness. What I found, my spiritual director kind of cued me in on this. He, he taught me this this practice. It's, it's really helpful. I'll, I'll let's, instead of going to like the bigness, like I'm going to die, I'll, I'll give you an example. I talk about this in the book of like just a little example. So when I am emailed or called and somebody's like, would you work on this? Would you consider doing this project? I'll spend time with it. And I have my own practices about how I spend time with stuff and what I say yes to. But like, one of the things I'll ask myself is I'll go, if this is the last thing I did before I died, would I be okay with that? <laughs> Which is a lot of pressure to put on a project. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to do that necessarily. But what happens when I go, if I say, yeah, I'd be okay with that, then that's a good sign that that's along the lines of what I want to do. But if I go, no, I wouldn't, then I go, well, then I'd have to ask myself, well, what, well, what, we, what would you rather be doing? Like, what do you wish you were doing? Well, I wish I was doing this. And then that's what, and all of a sudden what happens in that moment is kind of this inner compass appears because, because it's like, well, why, why aren't you doing that? That's what you need to pay attention to. Why have you been ignoring that the deepest thing in you that wants to come out the most? That's so the death practice helps keep that inner compass in focus because a lot of like things in life, conversations, influences, what you think is important can kind of muddle up the deepest thing in you, but to, to just go, <laughs> even to just simply go, I'm going to die at the end of the week. How would I adjust my week? I'm going to die at the end of this day. How would I, how would I interact with the people I love, the people I meet? Well, how would I spend my time? What would I notice? Would I enjoy my food or would I just wolf through it? Would I like enjoy a mundane task of like playing with my three-year-old, you know, with his boring toddler stuff? Or would I go, I mean, this is great. I only get this for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It just yeah, helps. Yep. It helps you. It helps you bring, it brings you to the present, which is really all the practices. It's just like going, you're here right now. Everything is kind of magic. Just pay, you know, be here right now. That's, that's, so I have this, like these various levels of the death practice that just kind of, they're just there to help me like tune in and be here and pay attention to what. It's most important. And I would say, and there's a longer description about the path of desire that's put in each one of us to walk that Ignatius points to, that I think Jesus points to. And that, that is the thing that you're, you're, you're paying attention to. When you do the death practice, you have this thing that comes up in you. It's like, that's, that's what you got to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me when I have the space to control it, I guess a little bit, like something comes to me and I'm thinking about my day or I'm thinking about that project. I like that a lot. Before we started recording, you and I were talking about like some shifts that we had to make with COVID and COVID became this thing of like, in some ways, plans that we had, things that we thought were great things 
that were forced to die outside of our control. Like, how did you start to deal with that? How did you, like, what did that change for you? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I mean, before COVID, I had been doing Say Yes for a year and a half. And honestly, my plan with this, I literally said this to myself, which was just like, I had it memorized. I had it dialed in and I was just like, I'm just going to coast on this for the rest of the year. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to like put this in autopilot and just do it. Yep. And then April, May was just email after email of cancellations. And, you know, my whole year just like disappeared. And so, and then I moved as well to Austin from Portland hmm. and st kind of started over at a time when society was like, don't make new friends. Don't talk to anybody. Don't get involved with anything. Stay at home. So right. it's been a weird, so I, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't been my favorite year, but I noticed, and this is where we're, where we're talking to is when I, man, a lot of things just kind of maybe the, I, would I say the fire in me or the motivation or the striving, I got really comfortable just being at home. And I was kind of like, I don't need a tour anymore. Actually, I got, I was like, I want to be a public speaker. And I got to the spot was like, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I'll just stay home. Yeah. And um, kind of picking up this material again, uh, a year and a half later, I, the first time I did it was in Raleigh at a, with the community I'm good friends with. And I just had to. I noticed that I was saying stuff that I knew from before, but I was a different person saying it. And so I had to, I had to find a different spot in myself to do this. And also my inward prayer was like, God, I need like one sign. I was like, I just need one person to tell me this matters. Cause mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't, cause I, I can see all the work it's going to take. And I'm like, I, I need to know it. I need to know in some ways it's kind of worth it. And sure enough, like a day or two later, somebody emailed me and their summary was like, hey, I had just decided to give up on myself and now I'm not going to. So thank you. And that was it. I need, I just needed to hear that. And I was like, all right, cool. Okay. I'm willing to do it. Yeah. That's so good. I, I was telling you that I had this story that I would always use when I would guest speak somewhere. Like I've got, I don't know if you do that. So I've got like four stories that I'll use when I'm somewhere new for the first time that like, I'll grab one of them that it's a way it's like a quick introduction to the, to like me and like, and I know the story will work and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is like, I went hiking one time at Arches National Park with my family and I, I took this selfie as we're in the midst of this really difficult climb with my wife and I, my son's in the background and he's just looking miserable. <laughs> and, and he didn't know he was in the picture. So then he and I taken a, a picture together and he looks more miserable than the one that like we were intentionally in together. <laughs> and, I, and I would use that as like this picture to like show my family and talk about this thing that we love to do. And then I would, I would talk about like how he had to push through that, like difficult, like he didn't want to do it, felt miserable. And then show the picture at the end where you see this incredible thing that the only thing, the only way you got to see it and experience it was by walking there. And I was recording a sermon for a church during COVID. And it was the first sermon that I was recording and I was going to tell that story. Yeah. And as I started to tell it, as I was recording it, I just stopped and I was like, crap, like this doesn't work. The like, just push through the mm -hmm. hard thing and it's going to be good on the other side. Cause I feel like I've been trying to do that and that doesn't feel like it's working anymore. Yeah. And I had this like realization of like, yeah, I'm telling the same story, but like 
what does that story now mean for me, having gone through these new and different experiences where some things like, well, this was the first time for me, I'd gone through an experience where my income was directly tied into the larger economy. Yeah. And that when that stuff went down, that it like had a significant effect on my income and that hadn't happened before. And hmm. then there was all of these sort of like things of like going to the grocery store. I did our grocery shopping, especially early on in COVID. And I would go and like, there'd be, I would go through, I'd have my list and only like half the things would be on the shelves. Yeah. And it, it, it just was like, gosh, what, what is going on? And anyways, the thing, like that story then became for me, this picture of like, I want, I want the story to be, we push through and there's something good on the other side, but that's not actually always our reality. And it became this like mirror for me of this recognition of the acceptance of my mortality was such an important part of my own growth. And yeah, anyway, yeah. so that for me began to resonate with some of the things that I had experienced. I, I had seen you do say yes, two different times before COVID hit. And like the experience of having to almost to die to a thing intentionally, like it was, I felt like it was being thrust upon me in a way yeah. that like opened me up in new and different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in, in a way, like that's what we all, we all went through a death practice in, I mean, even now as you're talking, I'm just thinking about, it, it was like the cliche of <laughs> if you work at a church and a pastor is going to take a sabbatical, then everybody's like, uh-oh, there's an 80% chance that when they come back, they're going to quit. <laughs> right? Yeah. This is like a big, yeah. I, I just made up 80%, but it's a high number of yeah. like people quit right after their sabbatical. Because what's happening during that time, they're getting a pause from the just kind of rhythm, the fast rhythm they've been a part of that they're just like keeping up, keeping up, keeping up. And when you get take some space and you really think or sit, and listen to your life as like uh, you know, Parker Palmer, let your life speak, mm -hmm. kind of tap into that. Then you go, what's the most important? Where am I at right now? What is the thing that I always wanted to do? I think if you've been listening to why there's like these shortages of people like not going back to the same jobs they used to have and stuff. If you listen to their stories, they're like, I took time and I was like, I, how do I want my life to, where do I want my life to go? What do I want to spend time? What was most important? And they're tapping back into that. And so there's kind of this like societal reset that's been happening, I think. And, and then there's a lot of things that died. There's like, I mean, unfortunately and real mournfully, like some people we know, a large amount of people we know passed away, died. Some of us feel like we just lost our, our elders. Some of us feel like we, you know, the, the, just because of politics in this country and race conversations and things, they were just like, Oh, this thing I was a part of, some of its true nature or uh, the ugly side of it showed itself. And I don't know who to trust anymore. I don't, you know, there's just kind of like this death of a lot of things. And I, I think now, you know, who knows if there's another wave or whatever, but quote unquote, will ever anything ever get back to normal? But I think we're kind of having gone through this, we're all kind of like, I'd like to go back to my life, but I can't because I'm irrevocably changed. And so how do I, where do I start? Where do I pick up the things that I, what kind of things do I want to continue picking up? What kind of things do I want to leave? How do I want to do things differently? These are the kind of the conversations we're all in. For some of us, you know, we might have a good idea or clear idea. Maybe it's energizing. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of introverts that were like, yes, I love this year, you know, but like, 
there, there are some people who like, like things went completely away and they're like, I don't know where to start again. And I, I think that, you know, this book and the show is, is they're just, they're just trying to be a helpful tool to where it's like, I, I say it as like, I'll be your story porter. Like I'll carry your heavy bags. I'll carry the heavy bags of keeping you entertained. But like, really what I want the show and the book to do is to go, eventually your story would come out, like your conversation come out. That's the thing you need to tap into. And art and storytelling and visuals, these all, these all help kind of untie the knots we find ourselves into. But it gets into that thing. Like I was just talking to somebody on Instagram because that's where I talk, I talk to a lot of people <laughs> on Instagram. And they were just like, man, I'm so tired. I just don't want to try anymore. And I was like, I totally feel that. And I think the antidote to being tired isn't rest. The antidote is wholeheartedness. You huh. need to step back from what you think you should be trying to accomplish. Step back until you find what is giving you life. That's where you need to put your attention to is like, where, what, where's the spot that where you come to life? That's what you need to water and spend time with. I think we all just kind of get in. I, I do. I get in my head where I'm just like, oh crap. When am I going to start that YouTube channel that I've been thinking about for five years? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, I am always plagued by that. Like I should be making more YouTube videos. I'm just like, for one, I'm in the midst of a move still. And I'm like, I have no capacity for that. And I was like, and is it that, like, who's telling me that? Like, who, who's saying that that's what I needed? Is that even, I'm living this out right now all, for all of you listening. I was like, I probably should do a death practice on that. I should probably do it and be like, is that the deepest thing in me? Is it like a YouTube channel? If it is, okay. You know, there are some things about storytelling and visuals. This is the reason why I don't do a podcast is because I feel like the gift I can give is visuals and podcasts don't have that in it. Yeah, I know. Then that that's one of my main reasons I don't. But anyways, so there you go. That's that. That's yeah. That's, no, well, the visual thing is really interesting. And this is one of the like things I wanted to maybe like pull back the curtain a little bit because it, so you, you've got this book that's got a whole bunch of visuals. that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. Your other books that you've produced have a whole bunch of visuals in Let's it. See. I'm going to show you some pictures. Oh, like yeah, pictures yeah. oh yeah. There's so much. Like scattered yeah. throughout the book as you're flipping through it right now, there's all these yeah. like images that are pieces of it that look very yeah. quintessential scotterickssonart.com. Yep. And plug. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I feel like you are the one who really introduced me to the idea of visual liturgies. Yeah. And recapturing those in ways. And so I've had these really interesting experiences recently where like we've got this little gathering that we do at our house every other week with a, a small group of folks who are who are local, who like are feeling church homeless right now, aren't really yeah. sure where they fit. So we're like, hey, let's just collect up our friends that are church homeless and do something together. So we we start with a shared meal and conversation. And the first question that we ask is like, how are you showing up? Where are you at? And we started the first week by using you, you put up on Instagram one time, these like nine drawings of a car. Yeah. yeah. A visual call to worship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I stole it off of, off of Instagram <laughs> and I printed it up because I couldn't find it to buy from you. And, and so we used it that first time. And that visual thing was so helpful where people were yeah. like, I feel like I'm this car right now. And here's why. Uh -huh. And, yep. and it, so we just started doing it every week where we now, every time that we were together, like we pull out that card and somebody points to a car and they're like, I'm this, I said, I was this last time. 
And that visual, like, open them up in new ways. So the other thing we do is we do some sort of, like, contemplative practice together. Mm. So last night we just had a gathering where I decided, like, oh, why don't I? I thought that you had had something and I found the stuff on, on your site that you've got contemplative, pra- visual contemplative practices. So I bought that and we printed them up and I put them out for people to, like, look at and identify with and answer some questions with. Yeah. And I was shocked at how quickly somebody would would look at that and how quickly they would get vulnerable and honest and like like weeping as they're sharing things that that like image opened up for them. So I'm a person who like I was trained to be a pastor, had been a pastor for on sta- on staff of this church for 19 years, over 20 years being a pastor and and like preaching is a part of like my vocation and how like I know to communicate the things and there's this other thing that's happening with images that I'm not able to do with words and I'm trying to make sense of all of that. And I'm trying to figure out like, what does that mean for pastors? What, I don't know. I just said a whole lot of like, what do we do with that? It means that you should buy my shit. No. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there is, there's a point too where I'm like, I'm going to run out of things to buy from Scott Erickson, (laughs) artshop.com. And like have to find other things. So anyway, there's That's a bunch funny. of like the kinds of pastors that came to the gathering in South yeah. Bend. Like, we'll listen to this. Like, what what is it that we need to know about recapturing visual liturgy? What what would you want to tell pastors about the craft of communicating of of like opening up people to the divine? Like, what is it that we can grab a hold of through? Like, what have you learned through your work that would be helpful yeah. for us? Yeah. This is a great question. I can tell you what's happening in that moment. So I, I explored this with my friend, Justin McRoberts. We made a couple books mm-hmm. on prayer, prayer, and may it be so available everywhere. But we described this in the beginning of prayer, which is what, how I see art. I mean, we don't necessarily think about words this way, but it's tr- it's, this is what's happening here. I'll tell you, let's start with this. Have you ever been in your car and you turn on the radio? And then a song comes on that you really love. But in that moment, you're like, oh, you turn it up. You're like, oh, this is my song. This is my song right now. What are we saying in that moment? What we're saying is like uh, lyrically and sonically, somehow the artist has perfectly described what it feels like to be in your own skin. And when you hear that song, it's like, yes, you just like, there's this inner like, yes, yes, this is it. This is the truest thing in me. And so that song becomes a vehicle to approach God with because you're being honest. You're like, there's this honesty. It's helping you get in touch with what's already in there. Um, and what Justin and I, we, what we started cueing in on is we were like, for our first book prayer, we were like, this isn't a book of prayers. This is a book of excavation tools. Prayer is the conversation that's already going on inside of you. It's the ever-present, ongoing, interior conversation that you're having with God and, and reality. Pray, like these, these words and images or songs or these other things, they help us clue into that or like get in touch with that. What I, so that's, that's kind of how I see the whole thing. So when, what I, from my experience in creating images or presenting images in sacred spaces or just in community spaces is that. When people see it, it's excavating that true story in them. So like when you, so what is happening when you show those like nine images of a car, one's like getting a tire change, one's zooming fast, one's 
got a bunch of stuff on top of it, one on the side of the road with fire coming out of it. What's happening in there? It's just pictures of cars, but it's excavating how you actually feel about your life. Like how, where you feel like you're at, how you think God is talking to you or not talking to you, how you feel if you're measuring up or all of these things. It's excavating. It's helping you get in touch with that thing that's already in you. And when you can, and real prayer is like getting in touch with that. Like this is why Jesus says your father in heaven already knows everything you need before you even ask. And then he gives us the Lord's prayer. Why would he say that? Because he's saying like the Lord's prayer isn't a list of things to accomplish. The Lord's prayer is, is, is living into the reality of what already is. Like if we, Mm. how do we live into what already is that God already knows? What does it mean to be already known? Part of being, knowing that you're already known is (laughs) you getting in touch with what's, what already needs to be known, you know? And when you can get in, when you can sit in that space of the already known, then all kinds of miraculous things can happen from that spot. So that's, you know, I'm not saying all art has that intention, all music has that intention, but it, it, it does it. I mean, I, I make that stuff with an, an intention on my part, but I think you just need to pay attention to what your favorite song is right now. What's the image that you've seen that you can't stop looking at? Though that is cueing you into a deeper conversation about your life. That's, that's what I would point out. I just happen to try to curate something that is doing that through Instagram and, and, and also trying to create a visual vocabulary for that, that people's experiences. That's, 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 that's what I'd like to try to do for however long I can. Yeah. I'm wondering, even as you're talking, like I, I started thinking, it seems to me one of the differences between the way that I had approached speaking for a lot of years in ministry versus what I've experienced with you is I wonder if I have not trusted people to trust what the spirit's already doing in their life. And so I need to control yeah. it a little bit more and yeah. I need to create a prepackaged thing that tells them what they're supposed to think, feel, and do as opposed to doing things. And you even do this, you did this at the gathering in South Bend where you started with, you had created questions that people had around the audience that they pre-filled out, they passed them around and then, and then they were read. And the way that we began was not by telling people, here's what this is and here's what you need to think, do, feel, here's what's happening right here, but instead was inviting their participation into it. And there's this like trust of people, trust of the spirit in people, trust of what the divine is doing in people in a way like, I don't know, that feels different than, and not that I love preaching. I think there's Mm -hmm. something really sacred and beautiful about it, but I can see the limitation in, or maybe the limitation is the wrong word. I can see the, the inability to trust people enough where we want to make it super precise as opposed to that we're putting something in people rather than excavating something out of people is probably a better way of saying it. Yeah. 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 Don't get me wrong. I was a youth pastor and I've been a lot of different kinds of pastors, but you know, the scariest thing ever is an open mic youth group. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You know, allowing that. And I have been at church services where I've seen that go real wrong or just like, you know, get into not inappropriate, but just like embarrassing people, people don't know how to be appropriate on a microphone. So, um, it, they, I understand, I understand like the curating something I, I, I try like with those questions, I try to keep it real specific and, 
And when you mix it around, it keeps the anonymity. So you're not asking people to make public declarations from their own voice, but all of this stuff. But I, I think more and more what I'm more, most interested in, in like performance or speaking is trying to unearth what's already in the room. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's the most interesting. I mean, I, I want to, I want to become a better practitioner of, uh, as a speaker, an articulate communicator, but like, I, I think I'm more interested in about like, what can I do that could help bring out what's already here? That, that I think is the surprise or what we're really wanting to like, and there's nothing wrong with this. Cause I, there, you know, I remember in college, I had a job and I was really tired all the time, but church for me, was like sneak, going to a mega church and sneaking in the back corner in the dark and just listening to stuff. Cause I was so tired listening to stuff and then leaving and never interacting. And that, I understand that, but I think what we're all, what we're all really longing for is a way to participate. And I, I think we're just still always evolving in our sacred ceremonies and stuff about how do we give places and chances for people to participate. And that's going to be up to the specific leaders on how they want to do that. But yeah, yeah, I, I, huh. I'm interested in that kind of, you know, I don't, I, I'm not trying to create my own church, but it, it, you know, I am trying to create these like weird liturgies that nobody can get fired from, you know, like that's the thing. Like, I'm, you just don't come to a show, uh, but like, I'm trying to go say yes was my, cause I did a first one called We Are Not Trouble Guests, which is about the gift of your existential crisis. Say yes is kind of like this way of, it's like, how can you create, can you make a transformational experience? Can you make something where people come and then at the end they've been transformed? And what are the elements of that? And I've been experimenting with like being the host or the curator and allowing, allowing the audience or those who part, who showed up to participate, allowing that to change and mold the feel of the thing. And, and also in doing something over and over and over again, it becomes less boring because there's aspects to it where I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Yeah. Like, and there are, there's some really hard things. There's some really surprising things that get shared. I just, this last one I did in St. Louis, a guy he said, I, I was sexually molested when I was a kid and I, I, nobody knows, I haven't even told my wife. And then he came and told me afterwards that it was him because I said to him, I said, Hey man, thank you for sharing. He's all, sometimes I just let it, I, most of the time I let it pass, but I, sometimes I'll be like, Hey, and I was like, thanks for sharing that. I just want to let you know that that happened to me too. And so I think then afterwards he found me and, and he was like, yeah, and I was like, Oh, it's you. And he goes, yeah, I, I you know, I still haven't told anybody about it and so there's that kind of stuff that comes out there's also like a lot of like ridiculous stuff like poop jokes and right you know bowel well, experiences were you at the one in denver no 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 because you lived in california at the time when i met you yeah, yeah yeah and i'm still still out here and so i brought you out i don't know if you, uh, like in december you just were get, out here for something just getting all these michaels this uh oh yeah yeah hidalgo, hidalgo. <laughs> yeah it was like which michael was it yeah, yeah, you yes, did yes. one out here in Long Beach. And I remember that night. There was one in that I'd seen before that in Rancho Cucamonga. Which so like what's fascinating to me, and even as you were sharing about like the way that it's uh participatory and like what's in the room is what creates it, like you are in some pretty conservative spaces and in some pretty progressive spaces. And it's interesting to me that you have been able to transcend those categories. Like what's your read on like why you're able to do that? Well, it's surprising because you know, if we took a poll, especially, I don't know that I definitely have opinions about things. Yeah. And you share those and, sometimes. And I share those sometimes much to the 
the chagrin of my DMs, but like, I'm not trying to, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't, I, I don't see myself as some, like, I'm not trying to, I haven't shared this a lot, but like, for me, I'm not trying to be successful in Christianity is how I would say it. My friend, Kurt Kroon, who is a friend and a pastor of a church in Portland that I was a part of, he goes, cause I talked, I was like, I don't know how to tell this. I just like, I, I feel like what I want to say is I'm not trying to be successful in Christianity. And he, and he goes, well, of course you don't, because to be successful in Christianity is to make something tribal that was never meant to be tribal. Oh, and I was like, that is it. Cause he's like, then you'd have to invent an enemy. You'd have to be, invent a bad group of people or the people who are the cause of all the things. And, and so I don't want to be successful in that. And I see a lot of that happening, at least in the American version of Christianity. So I want to, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create things that just point to the truth about what it feels like to be a human and to deal with the mystery of God. Um, I, I don't have, I'm not filled with, I, I'm not a person that doesn't have doubts. You know what I'm saying? And then there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff being said from a stage that I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to talk that way. Hmm. I, 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 I don't live in that assuredness. Is that what you need? I can't give that to you, but I can, I can offer you, you know, presence in the mystery. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing that I, I don't know. That's what I think my belief is that everybody bumps up against the mystery of God at some point and like how to, and, and to create spaces where that's allowed to talk about, like, you haven't figured it out, you know, like, and you can bring your doubts and questions. And, and I, and, and then this is why I'm not everybody's cup of tea is that I went to this experience where I saw a comedian and a pastor speak at the same thing. And I, and I was, I was at this theater in Portland and I was like, oh, this pastor's doing his like, you know, best of sacred stuff. And this comedian's doing like his best of dick jokes. And I, and, and I found myself in that room going, wow, this is what real life is like. It's sacred moments and dick jokes at the same time. Like that's, let's be honest. Like, and I don't say that at the beginning of the book, cause my editor and my agent was like, that's a little hard right at first. <laughs> I think at the beginning is, I say it at the beginning of say us to show, but right. at the beginning of say us the book, I think it's a pretty good one where like, what we know is that life being here is that life is a mixture of. What is, what is the exact line it says? And what we know about being here is that life is a mixture of sacred moments while letting a little fart out at the same time. <laughs> Which I think is much better for a book form because it's true. It's kind of like, <laughs> we must, you've probably gone to a church service and ghosted the, the narthex, you know, like, oh, I'm about to like praise <laughs> Jesus, but I got this gas from last night's pizza. You know, like that's, I like that's incarnation, right? The Pope has diarrhea. Mother Teresa had a monthly period. Like no matter how saintly somebody is at some moment, their body was like, you know, or your thoughts or your feelings or these things, or you you saw something, you laughed inappropriately. That's what life inappropriate for what? Like, this is what life is. And I, Hmm. it's my deeper concern as like a spiritual director and as a spiritual person. And I know you've probably experienced this too, is that, my friend Paul Ramey says this, Re, why, why do we see all these professional ministers like flaking out? And he goes, I think it's just baby steps to a divided le- life. When you start compartmentalizing, like, here's my sacred self. Here's my real self. Here's my 
here's my religious self. Here's my yeah, yeah, yeah. hidden self. All of a sudden, like you're so far apart. Those two parts of yourself are so far apart that they just implode. And I think the goal of all of our spiritual journeys is not to become a better person. I think the goal of our spiritual journey is to become a whole person, is to let those things, let the dick jokes and sacred moments sit together and realize they're not strangers, that actually that's the living room of your life. That is, that is the wonderful love seat, <laughs> the sectional that you hang out with and watch shows together is your sacredness and your crassness at the same time. and that. And I wanted to kind of make a space for that. And yeah. that's what Say Yes is attempting to do. I There's so much about that that I love. And I'm also still mystified that you can talk like that and like have Saddleback bring you in to to do <laughs> paintings for like the With, anniversary yeah, never, of the Reformation. Yeah, but they didn't want me. You know, nobody was like, please take a microphone, you know, <laughs> sure to, to a room full of California boomers. And all. like that's, you know, I wouldn't have been, I understand context, you know, I, yes. Yes, I get, it is interesting. It is interesting, like the, the be, I don't know, the, you know, the thing is, and I appreciate your love and support. I'm not like, I'm kind of doing a thing that I don't have a lot of competition, but it's also kind of in a field that not a lot of people care about. I don't know. Like, I think the creation of Instagram and Facebook and stuff, these very visual platforms, my stuff, that's where it really exploded right. just because it became really it functions really well in there, but like, you know, professional religion is mostly about speakers and musicians and nonprofit leaders, you know, like, you know, there's maybe Mikado Fujimura who's delightful, but my arch nemesis, no, it, that's, 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 that's my own joke, but I'm just like, Hey, there's other people besides him. You can call other people if to speak into these things, but yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is fascinating the places to get to. Yeah. I no, well, I, I mean, I'm super intrigued by it because I'm intrigued by the spaces that are, there's such a strong dichotomy of, of conservative progressive in the church now mm -hmm. that I feel like, I mean, I guess it's always been there in some sort of way, but I feel like there were a lot more people 15 years ago who are transcending into different spaces and we've become so much more tribal that yeah. you're seeing a lot less people be able to bounce into different spaces in the church it's it's because my guess is because they're worried about their paychecks sure you know they're they're like if i say something then i'll lose yeah. it so i don't want to i don't want to hit that beehive with that stick and so then it just becomes again baby steps to just being a divided person or one thing but the truth is is like behind all of that is just like real people i i had dinner with a person the other night in part of his deconstruction was he was really into like the charismatic faith healing circles. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, what broke my heart is that mostly all of them are just shams. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're just swindlers and cheap magicians who are just taking people's money. He's like, there's maybe 5%. And this is what we talked about, which is hard is like, he's like, there's probably 5% of them that are actually have the gifting and are actually trying to do the prophetic thing. And I, I don't know. I, my opinion is like in most settings, 95% of people are just shams. <laughs> I'm not saying, it's like they're doing something to keep it going. Yep. Like, man, can I say this? I guess we can say whatever. Is this, is, what I'm interested in is like the people who are willing to say what they think. I, <laughs> I, I've never said this on, shit, now it's going to be on recording. Get out I, later if you want. All right, friends. 
So I'm doing a quick little break in here before Scott gets to this part that he said, I've never like said this before and I'm saying it on a recording here and said, well, we can take it out later. And we chatted about it later and he's like, no, no, no. I think that you should leave it in. Like, it's totally fine for this to be out there. And so I just wanted to give a quick little like, like thing before he gets into this and I'm probably building it up way more than it needs to be. And then you're going to be let down by the time we get into it. But I just kind of want to say this, like, I think we're going to get into a spot where we start maybe ascribing some motives to people that we don't fully understand and we don't know what's driving it there. And I think what he starts poking at here is probably a true thing. And in the, in the way that he starts sort of poking at it, he names a specific person. And in doing that, like it opens up this, like this thing of like, well, is that true for that person? Are the things that like you're, you're getting at there, do, do we know that that's true? Should this be a conversation with him first? And, and he brings that up and, but I think what it's actually poking at is, is something that, that we do have concerns about of a larger thing happening within the evangelical industrial complex within the like sort of church, larger church space within the the world of like doing things where we do stuff like this to make a living and he's sort of poking at like like well what is it that we're willing to say and not willing to say how truthful are we willing to be and not willing to be and what are the things that are holding us back from that and i want to sort of frame it with that before we get into it because i think by him talking about a specific person and saying these sorts of things that we don't know whether they're true or not true. He offers some speculation here that I think we can start to lose the truth of maybe what he's hooking at a little bit here, which is what are we holding back? Where are we not willing to be truthful? And those of us who are in leadership roles in church spaces, Christian spaces, uh, other sorts of spaces, why are we holding those things back? And so so I want to give sort of that as maybe some framing context to, to what Scott's going to sort of poke into a little bit here. Okay, no, no. I just, Britt, did Britt and I have this conversation with you where Britt, for those of you who don't know, Britt Barron and I host uh, co-hosted this thing that Mike put on, or we were like the co-spiritual directors. We had this long conversation one day about should we, should we try to publicly critique Bob Goff? <laughs> and like, and we don't. Bob Goff does tremendous stuff. Here's my thing with Bob Goff. Um, he is tremendously wealthy, which none of us talk about. He's real freaking wealthy. He made a lot of money. He lives on San Diego Harbor. That's his first house. His second house is up in British Columbia on an island that you can only get to by seaplane and boat, which he has both of. We're not talking about how wealthy. And yet, what is this guy doing now? He now pivoted from being a really wealthy lawyer to speaking at Baptist churches. What? What? And a Brit who's a black queer person is just like, show me the queer person on his podcast. Nope, nobody. And, 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 and like, even if he is open and affirming, um, he, why, why has he wrote a book called everybody always. And what Brit was saying is she's just like, but that's, he's, that's not true. At least he's not showing it with what he's doing. He is just a visual. He's like, she, he, she was saying he's a human form of a church sign, which is saying everybody's welcome, but don't bring up that because then we're going to have to ask you for a secret coffee and tell you that you have to leave. Mm. And, and we were like, it, and, and Bob is probably all these wonderful things, but it's just like, hey man, put some skin in the game. Like, 
what you don't have anything to lose. Like you have all the money. You don't need to, you're worried about not getting invited to some like big church in Southern California. That's what you're worried about. I don't know. I just don't, I don't know him and I'm not trying to like, I, I don't think he needs to have his career taken away. Nothing like that. I, I just think, I think you can do better because I think there's a cost to saying what you think and loving who you think need to be loved and standing up for you, who you think's being let out. And it's just like, if it's just about money and not getting invited to things, well, this is where, this is when you become a sham. This is what I'm saying. This is when you become a sham. And, and I think, I think all of us listening don't want to be shams. We want to be whole people. And, and I think if, if, if the people who are listening to this podcast or anything like you might, like we've all been trying to make those hard decisions about being honest with ourselves and honest in the world and it's cost us. And I get that. Yeah. I really do. I get that. Yeah. I w- Sorry. No, that's, no, no. That's good. I actually wonder. Phones are, ring, phones are ringing off the hook right now. I'm not. I'm not in the Bob Goff. Like, I wouldn't say I'm an anti-Bob Goff, but I'm not in the like, I'm going to pay attention I'm to all of what too. he's doing. Although I have some, I have some interesting in- interactions with him. Um, I think he's just a figurehead of a whole industry built on. Right. Like talking about stuff, but not going far enough with it. Yeah, yeah, that it's like, if you were to take this headline and like play out, what does that actually mean? Are you actually doing the things that it means? Are you staying at the headline? I get that. I've wondered if I've been in this conversation a few times. I've wondered if the money thing is a little bit of a cop out. If it's like actually, if that's actually what it is for folks. And if it's actually something else, if like at times. Oh, I love where this is going. Do you think it's like loneliness? So you think it's like rejection? Yeah. So like for me, as a, I'm an Enneagram three, I want people to like me. I want to like be fit in. And so I often was not like, oh, I'm scared of what this does for me financially. Like that wasn't like a thing, but there was, if I was to dig down, it would be like, oh, I'm scared of being rejected. I, I'm scared of not having the tribe that I've always had. I'm scared of the people who have looked up to me, not looking up to me anymore and the loss of like those sorts of things. And and anyways, all that to say, like, I I don't know that this is necessarily what you're doing, but I'm here. I've heard the critique a lot of times of folks saying like, people aren't speaking up because of money. And I know several of the people that aren't speaking up for things. And I'm like, I actually don't think it's because of money for them. Hmm. Hmm. Ah, man. Yeah, it probably is it. It's good. It's good. Yeah, I, because the people who, yeah, because it's like, they're fine. They're fine. But why, why aren't you? It's this other thing. Nope. Nobody likes being pushed to the outside. Yeah. And I think the particular pain that I experience in the communities that we've are a part of it are, do you know, Zach, our friend, Zach Lambert, you've talked, we just had lunch today or the other here in Austin. And, you know, for both of us, we both as much as we can with our whole hearts are pursuing love and love our interaction and our listening and being molded by the spirit of God, which is love has led us to the spot where we have made decisions and those decisions have cost us relationships. Yeah. And it's, I think it's real hard to like choose love and then be rejected because of that choice. And then when you see others not doing, I think it's, it's so, yeah, I think there's this particular, there's that particular pain. Hmm. I think what you're saying is right on, man. I mean, I think there's a longer conversation that's worth talking about there. And even, you know, sometimes I also think we all have this like 
invisible enemy, maybe some like old nasty church lady. Some people, I've mentioned this to some people like, I no, that's, she's a real person in my church. But you know, we have whatever particular voice we have fear that's telling us not to take that next step is something we really need to confront each one of us. Yeah, that's so good. I've taken a lot of your time. Well, we it's could, been great. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you for hours. I feel like well, we'll do it sometime. We soon. should do it again. And so first, like, I just want to say you are such a, I feel like an important voice for this moment in the church. Like so many people are resonating with you, not just because your art is interesting and good, but because it is tapping into something that people are on this journey of faith and it's changing for them. And they're looking for some sort of handholds. And I feel like you're one of the more prolific folks out there who are creating handholds for folks on that journey. So I'm just, I'm really, really grateful for you and for the work that you're putting out. Like, I feel like that it's really important. And so thank you for, thank you for all Gosh, that you're doing. Thanks. That's, those are real kind words. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. So where, where can folks find you? Give the quick plug on your book, all, all of the stuff that we're supposed to do on this sure yeah yeah yeah. well i'm scott the painter on all socials that's where you can find me most most active on instagram scott erickson art.com is my website if you just type in say yes scott the it'll come up on amazon christianbooks.com has a really good sale pre-order price that's great your pre-orders for one it doesn't suck i made a book for people with add um it, it's fun and it's deep at the same time and it Pre-orders help immensely because it lets booksellers know what kind of content should be out there. And I think about a, I think a book about not giving up on yourself and a book about how the giver of your life is still involved with your life, even though your life didn't turn out where you thought it would, is a really necessary conversation for right now. And so a way you can support that is by pre-ordering the book and that helps get that in front of more people. Even just gift it to somebody, you know? Like, that's the other thing I was trying to, I'm trying to still figure out, be like, send this to somebody, you know, who needs a little help, that kind of thing. So love it. We all love receiving books, you know, and it's not, it's, it's not short, but it's not super long. I feel like when you give a big book to somebody, you're kind of like saying F you, you know, you're like, here's 400 pages. You're like, come on, I don't have time for 400 pages. These are, these are very digestible sections. So it's good. It's good. Thanks for having me on Mike and talking about my stuff. I'm so glad. It. Thanks for making time today. It was really, really fun. And yeah. yeah, another time we'll, we'll get into the stuff. We'll figure out which Christian celebrity next time you want to throw under the bus. <laughs> That'll be fun. That'll be fun. I got a oh, list. Man. Next time I'm showing oh, up with man. a list of people to ask you about. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Bye. Well, that was a fun time with Scott. Seriously, I recommend checking out his book, Say Yes, uh, pre-order it, get it on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Highly encourage you to check that out. And then, hey, if you are here and you want to just stay connected to some of the like larger work that we've got going on, some of the ways that we're going to be connecting with post-evangelical pastors and leaders in this new year, some new cohorts that we will work on getting going, other gatherings that will happen, things like that. You can go to my website, mikegoldsworthy.com. There's a spot on there where you can sign up for a newsletter. That's probably going to be the easiest way right now. That's another thing that needs to get revamped. Like all the, all the stuff's got to get fixed, right? But new year, you know, we'll put up with it for a little while as we figure out new things, but go there and sign up for that newsletter. And as things are coming up, it will get put out there. But 
Friends, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work that you are doing. I'm grateful for the ways that whether you are a church leader, whether you are leading in new spaces, whether you are leading in spaces that have been around for a while, trying to figure out what it looks like to hold on to the way that your faith is changing in the kinds of churches you've been a part of that don't allow for that, or whether like you're not leading in a church space, but for whatever reason, you've sort of found yourself here and are resonating with what folks are talking about here. I just want to let you know, I appreciate you. So glad that you're around. And so until next time, which hopefully will be a week from now, if I can do get to keep it on my schedule, grace and peace to you, friends.